The following program is intended for mature audiences. Welcome to the podcast. This is Rudy's Revelation. It's Sunday, June 27th, 2021. This week I'll be talking about the hero's journey, a myth, a famous book, and the fact that myths shape our lives. I'll also be talking back to the Sunday Talking Heads on CBS Face the Nation, where we hear from Arkansas governor and rhino asshole Hutchinson, who says some of the constituents are reluctant to get vaccinated because the vaccines are only approved for emergency use. Uh, We'll also be hearing some cryptic language from Florida Senator little Marco Rubio regarding the Miami building collapse and its very eerie resemblance to the 9-11 building collapses which both include smoldering fires. What would cause those? Also be checking out Sunday Morning Propaganda and our favorite feel-good feature news program, CBS Sunday Morning, where correspondent Luke Burbank talks with Shea Myers, a third-generation Oregon farmer, where despite the existence of H-2A visa program for migrant workers, they make the case for amnesty for agricultural workers who migrate to the U.S. illegally because we all eat food, apparently. Also be tearing into the Sunday New York Times, showing how the newspaper continually mischaracterizes the facts to mislead the public. And of course, I'll be going over the weekend headlines all in the next 30 minutes. But first, I'll be taking you back to school giving you some historical context to frame this week's news narratives. All right, the word of the day is hero. A mythological or legendary figure often of divine descent endowed with great strength or ability be an illustrious warrior C. A person admired for achievements and noble qualities, D, one who shows great courage. Right, and the reason we get into hero, of course, is the hero's journey, which I talked about in the lead. And I was surprised to hear that my wife had never heard of the hero's journey and that most people never heard of the hero's journey. Hero's journey really came into popular culture when in 1949, scholar Joseph Campbell published his first book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. In this book, Campbell introduced us to his theory that myths from around the globe share a fundamental structure, the monomyth. Now, Campbell for- formulated his theory over five years, spending nine hours a day reading mythology from around the world. The monomyth structure is divided into three events, which additional stages in between the story of Osiris, Prometheus, Buddha, Moses, Jesus, and many other tales from this history use this structure. It has inspired many artists and storytellers. Now, the reason I get into this is because most people have never heard of it. 
And if you look online, you could see this chart. And basically, uh, the hero's journey is a cyclical or a circle um, that goes around and it starts with a call to adventure, uh, supernatural aid in his call to adventure, a threshold, the beginning of transformation, helper, mentor, challenges and temptations, then the revelation, Rudy's revelation, the abyss, excuse me, death and rebirth, transformation, atonement, and return with the gift of the goddess. Now, this is, when you talk about myths, also you have to understand is that myths, it's the chicken and the egg. Is the myth based on a common occurrence in the lives of human beings? Or is a myth just a made-up story? Is it a construction? And that's when people get into constructionism. Is everything a construct? Or are the things constructed, you know, does uh, life imitate art or does, uh, or does art limit, imitate life? Those are the two things you really have to understand. Is this innate in human nature? So the hero's journey um, is a narratology, excuse me, and comparative mythology, the hero's journey or monomyth is a common template of stories that involve a hero who goes on an adventure, is victorious in a decisive crisis, and comes home changed or transformed. But this is a common theme in people's lives. And I think in an early age, if you recognize the structure, you can it can help you. So, and you start to look at crisis as being transformative. I know when my father died, it was, I knew it was coming and I knew it would be transformative. And so if you take on that mantle of, of transformation in your life, and if there are calls to crisis and for you to do things, and you, even if you're afraid, if you come through them, you uh, come through stronger and transformed. And that's what life is. If you face your crisis head on, you will be transformed. Campbell's theories regarding the concept of monomyth have been the subject of criticisms from scholars, particularly folklorists, scholars active in folklore studies, who have dismissed the concept as a non-scholarly approach to suffering from source selection bias, among other criticisms. More psychological mumbo-jumbo. Everybody knows your life is a cycle, and in this cycle there are many challenges and crises, crises, and if you come through them, you could be transformed in a better person. Uh, and if you fail, uh, they could destroy you. Now, the book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, published first in 1949, is, again, comparative mythology by Joseph Campbell, in which the author discusses his theory of mythological structure of the journey of the archetypal hero found in the world myths. Since the publication of Hero with a Thousand Faces, Campbell's theory has been consciously applied to a wide variety of modern writers and artists. So you see this in film writing and uh, in novel writing, but it is, uh, what I wanted to stress here, it, it is a common theme in your life. If you read this book, you'll see that it is a common theme in people's lives, not just in stories. And that's the connection I want to make here. Get right into the headlines. 
uh, from the AP, Widow Seeks Thorough Investigation into John McAfee's Death. Now, if you didn't know, John McAfee died in a Spanish prison, which he's been in there for a year. Now, John McAfee is uh, the founder of McAfee Security Systems, um, so he was very technological genius really um he was one of the first to start uh building electronic security software and he was certainly a rebel and he got into a lot of trouble i'm not going to go into everything here um but he was on the run from the law for a while basically what happened uh he lived out in the islands in the caribbean somebody he believed Somebody shot his dog, and then his neighbor ended up dead. So, And he was into firearms, so I'm not going to make any conjecture here that he might have shot the guy who shot his dog. But he was on the run, in any case, from uh, global law enforcement, really. So he got apprehended in uh, Spain and was being prepared for extradition to the United States. And he died mysteriously in prison, and they said it was a suicide and he said he would never commit suicide. He had a tattoo on his arm that said he would never commit suicide. And his wife says he would never commit suicide. And everybody knows he'd never commit suicide. So he was obviously suicided. I know some people don't know what that is. Um, they make a murder appear like a suicide. And it's not a lot different than uh, Jeffrey Epstein. So the widow of John McAfee, a British-American tycoon who died in a Spanish prison this week while awaiting extradition to the United States on Friday, demanded a thorough investigation of his death, saying her husband did not appear suicidal when they last spoke. Authorities in Spain are conducting an autopsy on McAfee's body, but they said everything at the scene in his cell indicated that the 75-year-old killed himself. Oh, it appeared that way. Well, then that's probably what it is. Not. From the Wall Street Journal, Sydney locks down as Delta COVID-19 variant spreads. Australia has proven to be an authoritarian state, particularly with this COVID thing. Parts of Australia's most populous city will go on lockdown for at least a week. Um, I know America is not going to put up with more lockdowns. It doesn't matter what happens this fall. And I'm telling everybody right now, we know what's happening this fall. We know it. So enjoy your summer because things are going to get nasty. From Reuters, YouTube takes down Xinjiang videos, forces rights groups to seek alternative. Now, if people haven't seen these videos, these are videos of Uyghurs in concentration camps. Yes, concentration camps. And if you thought the Nazis were bad, these sort of concentration camps with the aid of AI and technology are far worse, far worse. And YouTube takes down videos showing the concentration camps. Why? From AP, crews at collapse site find body, raising death toll to five. We're going to get into this a little more. Look, modern high-rises don't collapse into their own footprint. The way you build a building is to resist gravity. They can slough off of a facade, could slough off. Part of the building could collapse. Part of the building could fall. Um, but it falling into its own footprint, like on 9-11, it just doesn't happen. 
and I'm sorry to say, and I know there are lots of engineers out there who are going to, you know, bring back the pancake theory, but th this just isn't a reality in modern building. And we'll, we'll hear from Marco Rubio later to, uh, to see his cryptic language. Uh, again, from the Wall Street Journal, Chinese COVID-19 gene data that could have aided pandemic research removed from the NIH database. Now, this is a breaking story, so people should pay attention to this. Researcher says he recovered gene sequences after a Chinese scientist asked that they be removed from a government archive. Removed from the NIH database. That's the National Institutes of Health the U.S. National Institutes of Health. Again, from the Wall Street Journal, Hong Kong Apple Daily Newspaper Prints last edition as free press era ends in Hong Kong. China has taken over Hong Kong, a, 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 basically a free city that was reabsorbed after the British left and uh, was supposed to say stay independent until 2025, I believe. But uh, the Communist Chinese rushed in to crush the protests there uh, that resulted after they changed the laws restricting freedoms. From the New York Times, the cry cryonics industry would like to give you back the, back the past year and many more back. The business of cryopreservation, storing bodies at deep freeze until well into the future, got a whole lot more complicated during the pandemic. This, this is an article that... Um, Again, this is part of uh, transhumanism, again, getting into the cryogenics industry where you freeze your body hoping that in the future there'll be a cure where you could be revived. It really is quackery. It's, it says it in the article. Uh, there's, they pump your body full of chemicals so the freezing doesn't hurt. They basically fill you full of antifreeze, and then they freeze your body. Um it's very strange, and it's like what they're going to sell you in the future, that, oh, just do this, and you could live forever, and you can't live forever. From PJ Media, Senate Democrats rally behind critical race theory promoter, Kamala breaks the tie. Now, the Republicans discovered this. Uh, critical race theory is critical theory. Look what critical theory is, and then you'll understand a little bit why there's such a battle over it. Not just that it's in the curriculum in schools telling young people that, you know, the America or the United States is inherently bad. Um, but the fact is, is that Kamala Harris broke the tie on the vote uh, supporting critical race theory. Um, I don't know why anybody would support this. It's, it's undermining the country. And it's subversive. Why would you allow subversive material in your school system? I don't, I don't know. But that just shows where her allegiance lies. U.S. charges. This is an old article from 2020, but I had to pull it up. U.S. charges NYPD officer with spying for China. The officer allegedly looked for sources within the Tibetan community while working for the Chinese consulate. He also asked the Chinese official to attend the NYPD event to raise China's soft power. And if you didn't think we were infiltrated by the communist Chinese, and it goes back to the last article with critical theory, you're out of your mind.
I turned to the New York Times. First article up, the U.S. carries out airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. Back to the same old, same old. Is the forced contraception alleged by Britney Spears legal? Now, originally, uh, well, when I found this in the paper, it was the dark history of court-sanctioned sterilization was the headline. And this is the subhead in this article online. The United States has a dark history of court-sanctioned sterilization, but more recent rulings and legislation suggest it would violate a basic right. It, it certainly does violate basic human rights. You can't force someone to be sterilized, but this shot just might do it for everyone. So it's elective. Among the stunning assertions that the pop star Britney Spears made to Los Angeles probate judge this week as she sought to end her protracted conservatorship was one that shook experts in the guardianship law and reproductive rights deeply. She said a team led by her father, who was her conservator, prevented her from having an IUD removed because the team did not want her to have more children. Yeah, wait till the state becomes your conservator. And you don't think it's coming, it is. Engineer warned of major structural damage at Florida condo complex. A consultant in 2018 urged the managers to repair cracked columns and crumbling concrete. The work was finally about to get underway when the building collapsed. Uh, This is an insurance ploy with some darker meaning. We haven't quite figured it out yet. But um, they need to test for thermite, which is um, the demolition material used to cut steel column. A steel and concrete building does not collapse into its own footprint. If you looked at the image here, you could see the trees surrounding it aren't even damaged. And again, we're going to hear from little Marco later. And of course, we always end up with the Sunday Review. And this one's a doozy, the cruel logic of the Republican Party before and after Trump. Now, this guy, Andrew Sewer, or Sewer, I think sewer is more fitting. Says that Donald Trump has claimed credit for a number of things he benefited from, but he did not create the Republican Party's reigning ideology is one of them, a politics of cruelty and exclusion that strategically exploits vulnerable Americans by portraying them as an existential threat against whom acts of barbarism and disenfranchisement become not only just worthy, but worthy of celebration. This approach has a long history in American politics. The most consistent thread of our democracy has always been the drive of some leaders to restrict its blessings to a select few. What a bunch of shit. What a bunch of shit. This is just um, the reigning movement in the Republican Party is uh, a liberty-based movement that is at odds, basically, with Citizens United and corporate power. Because corporate power is the threat to liberty. And he goes on to say, Mr. Trump's main innovation was showing Republicans how much they could get away with from shattering migrant families and banning Muslim travelers to valorizing war crimes and denigrating African, Latino, and Caribbean immigrants as being from shithole countries. This whole thing, this article is a shithole. Because that's not what people believe. If he went out and actually talked to Trump supporters, then he would find out what the movement is actually about. 
you know who really is the architect, more or less, is Rand Paul. So maybe if you talked a little bit about Rand Paul, what he thought, then you'd understand what people want. And people want freedom from, let's say, critical race theory. And outlets like the National Review columnist justify disenfranchisement of liberal constituencies on the grounds that it would be far better if the franchise were not exercised by ignorant civics illiterate people now if you listen to that national review you know maybe you're going to get that but this guy the guy that writes this sewer he writes for the atlantic so if you think the national review is bad you read the atlantic i mean it's <laughs> verbose nonsense the origin of this politics can arguably be found in the aftermath of the Civil War when radical Republicans sought to rebuild a multiracial democracy from the ashes of the Confederacy. I'm just going to stop there. You can chew on that. So we're going to go right into um, little Marco and about this Miami building collapse. So he's a little cryptic with his language, so I edited it up, so you can only hear the cryptic parts. So, here we go. I know that a team is now in from Washington, from an agency that most people have never, it's under the Department of Commerce, that specialized in massive catastrophic structural failures. And they're gonna come and help sort of local authorities identify what kinds of things need to be preserved for a full-scale investigation. I have little doubt that we will know why this happened and be able to, to why, why this happened and so that it never happens again. Have more climate-resistant infrastructure. Again, that's quite different than what happened here. Have more climate-resistant infrastructure. Again, that's quite different than what happened here, but... We should start out an inquiry like this by ruling anything out. And um, I think, obviously, everything needs to be on the table. Whatever the cause was, whatever contributed to it, we need to know it. And, uh, and I don't think we should be in a position now of ruling anything out because we just don't know. And, um, and it's important not just to, to provide uh, certainty about what happened here, but from that information, I would imagine you can deduce whether other places are similarly um, um, in danger and what we need to do moving forward to protect against it. All right, there's a little Marco for you, giving some cryptic language about an investigation that may or may not show what happened to this building that collapsed into its own footprint. Let's just be real. That just doesn't happen. And then in the rubble, there's a smoldering fire where there's no oxygen. So what kind of fire could burn where there's no oxygen deep in the rubble? Hmm. So we're going to go next to uh, Asshole Hutchinson, uh, the rhino of rhino governor of Arkansas, who's pushing... Uh, not only he's pushing mandated vaccinations, um, and he wonders why people don't want to have the vaccine. So let's hear. You're most concerned about are those that uh, that believe don't believe in the efficacy of it. They believe that the, in the conspiracy theories protect people from this portion of the population that is so resistant that people started feeling comfortable. Uh, people saw the cases, the hospitalizations down, and so the urgency of getting the vaccine slowed down. We've used incentives that have not been very successful. 
Uh, we've obviously done marketing uh, for our vaccines. <laughs> We're educating, doing everything that we can. We're doing everything we can to encourage that. And I think as if uh, if if incentives don't work. Reality has been pretty uh, apparent for the last, you know, more than a year and a half. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there is uh, vaccine hesitancy. The part that you're most concerned about are those that uh, that believe don't believe in the efficacy of it. They believe that in the conspiracy theories. Outright treason. Uh, I had uh, emails today from a business person who uh, was discouraging vaccines and 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 you know and, and you know, this is an under FDA emergency use authorization and so we need to get that research completed so it can be final approval. I think that will help. <laughs> Secondly, you look back and I think the uh, the uh, pause on the J and J vaccine increase the hesitancy. I think that was an error. I don't think it was necessary. Explain to me why the change in the FDA uh, emergency use authorization would make it easier to get people vaccinated. Well, whenever they see emergency use authorization that uh, then they say, well, they haven't made a final approval. They haven't got all the research completed that is needed on there. It was approved as emergency use. And so for that reason, you can't mandate it. Outright treason. We have to rely upon the education. And part of that is, even though there is a minor level of risk with the vaccine, the risk is so much greater if you get COVID. And that's what we're seeing now. Uh, you have to think about anything, I don't know, mask mandate, anything to um, protect people from this portion of the population that is so resistant. Protect people from this portion of the population that is so resistant. Well, theoretically, that could be on the table, but in reality, we're beyond that. We know what we need to do. Do you have to start making preparations now in case there continues to be hesitancy and those predictions turn out to be true? Uh, we do have to have those contingency plans in place in the event we do see challenges uh, coming uh, this next winter. Oh, there you go from asshole Rhino Hutchison. And so we're going to leave you with um, a Luke Burbank report from uh, CBS Sunday Morning where he talks with this Oregon farmer who says he's a Republican and he's one of those sort of Republicans that don't want to pay, you know, their workers enough to hire Americans. So they need to get foreign workers to come in and work for the little money that they pay. And $16 an hour isn't little money, but for hard field work, uh, Americans won't, won't take that because it's not a, a fair trade-off. So let's hear from... Luke Burbank, and um, this Oregon farmer. Documentary, Harvest of Shame. Understand the ramifications of what's going on at the border and the lack of labor that we have in this country. But that's what can happen when you're reliant on an increasingly scarce labor force coming in from Mexico. Farm laborers are so critical to our actual life on a daily basis. I mean, they're, they're picking the food that's on your dinner table. The H-2A guest worker program gives agricultural workers temporary visas to come from abroad if farmers can't find enough domestic.
stick workers. In case you were wondering, Myers Farm pays around $16 an hour. It's hard work. And culturally, as a nation, we look down, I think, on, on um, field workers and, and the, the type of work that's done in the field for some reason. Harvest of shame, it's almost impossible to grow fruits and vegetables without farm workers. She got her start in the field. I remember I was planting onion. What time did you come out the field this morning? Six o'clock. Documentary, Harvest of Shame, with some agricultural economists estimating that in order to get Americans to work in the field, farmers would have to pay something like $23 an hour. People who are like eating their breakfast right now, what are the chances that, you know, vegetable that they're having was picked by somebody who isn't legally documented in this country? 90% probably. I mean, it's, it's the majority. If it's not an H-2A program, the majority of the people doing the work are likely undocumented. As human beings, how can we argue against them being able to have the same opportunities that we have? Myers, a self-described staunch conservative, one of the first changes he'd make would be to give immigrant, undocumented workers. The simple fact is that a lot of the food that we eat in this country it's picked by people who are often invisible to us. Well, nothing more than, don't be racist towards us. We just want to come here. Don't be racist towards us. They're going to put you all back in chains. And there you have it. Don't be racist against illegal immigration. And you know, it has nothing to do with illegal immigration uh, being racist it's not it's just that we have laws and you just can't let people come into the country undocumented that's the reason you have laws and the reason they come is that you can find work for companies that hire illegal immigrants now maybe if this company i don't know paid a living wage to people that they could hire americans uh, i have nothing against uh, the h2a worker visa um, because it's legal so if you want to improve that make it more robust if if people on that program uh, want a path to citizenship maybe there should be provided I'm not against some amnesty um, but I am against this kind of game that big business uh, wants to hire cheap labor so they're for illegal immigration because also those people they're in the caste system they're the lowest class because they don't have any legal recourse against abuses that they might find at their employer because they're undocumented i've seen this all the time so that's something to chew on this week we'll see you next week rudy's revelation check me out facebook and twitter now my minds <laughs>